0: Hi, I'm Mark Haywood, and this is Behind the Spine, a podcast which finds learning opportunities for writers in the most unlikely of places.
1: Having a chronic illness does not mean your life is over. Having a disability does not mean your life is It's ridiculous that I even have to say that, right?
0: Chronic illness, chronic pain, being chronically ill – these terms cover a wide spectrum of conditions and disabilities. So it's unsurprising that each individual's experience of them can differ drastically. Even if you are affected by a similar form of chronic pain as another person, no two stories are the same. The problem then is there is no true catch-all phrase to speak about your illness and your experience, so it's hard to explain exactly what you're going through, and finding treatments, assistance and solutions can be tough pain itself is hard to put a label on it's not as simple as rating it out of 10 this confusion opens up a world of misinformation and misunderstanding making matters worse it's in areas like this where it's vital for people to find a trustworthy source of information a port of call they can revisit every time they need new answers fortunately the influencer movement is making this possible Whether it's a social media, podcast or YouTube influencer, people have more options than ever to get the information they need. Just make sure you do your due diligence and pick someone you're confident you can trust. Someone like my guest today, award-winning chronic illness blogger and podcaster, Natasha Lipman. Chapter 1. How to Live the tagline of Natasha's show, The Restroom, is a podcast about living well with chronic illness, and that wording has been selected carefully. It's not about dealing, coping, or living with chronic illness. It's about living well. When we speak about disability, we can too often focus on what that person is missing, or the things they cannot experience, but that simply doesn't mirror the day-to-day experiences of disabled people who often live fulfilled and happy lives. Only for a disabled person, learning to live well may mean something different and may present its own unique challenges. And that's why The Restroom is a breath of fresh air. It discusses challenges, but it always aims to find a solution. It feels a bit like a how-to guide in that sense. So I wondered, how did the podcast come about?
1: It's quite funny because I only started making a podcast because I wrote too much and it wasn't an accessible way for a lot of people to take in information. So initially, it just started as a way of me getting my kind of writing out to a wider audience. But now it's that plus because I've been able to get help. So I've always been very passionate about thinking about the ways in which we can live well with chronic illness and what does that mean for a lot of people it's very much inaccessible in the sense that you go to the doctor, and if you're lucky you might get a little bit of support, but for most people we're not taught how to actually live and through the work that I've done, I've been very fortunate to have access to experts in the field of chronic pain management and a lot of different things. And so I wanted to make the resources that people just didn't have access to and make them available for free. And I know that some medical professionals in NHS clinics are using some of the resources now, which is kind of great. (laughs) That makes me really, really happy. And I've had some really great feedback from people about how these are some concepts that they're hearing for the first time and how it's helping give them the opportunity to think about different ways of managing really, really difficult health conditions. And on the other side, I'm also interested in chronic illness in society. And so loads of different topics around that um, to do with accessibility. So we've got a lot of exciting episodes planned for the future.
0: It is exciting and it's also very uplifting and empowering, which I think is really your unique selling point here. This is not a reflection of this is a terrible thing. It is a terrible thing, but this is more of a here are some things you may not have known about that will dramatically improve potentially your your quality of life. And and they seem really little, but is it a case of you you don't know what you don't know until a show like yours comes along and, and, and has, you know, here's 15 things you can do to improve your life.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's so many people online that talk about a lot of these things. So I'm definitely not the first one to do any of this. And as you said, it, it can be so hard living with these conditions, but at the same time, they are made so much worse by the lack of appropriate care and the lack of understanding in general about how, A, to live with them as individuals, how to deal with them with your doctors and how kind of the rest of society needs to understand these conditions. And they all kind of come together to make things a lot worse for people than they need to be. So um, the main doctor for years for one of my conditions, I don't remember the exact quote, but he said that EDS ends up being so much more disabling than it needs to be because people don't have the appropriate care. I ended up needing to use a wheelchair, which was a huge, brilliant thing that really, really helped me. But my body declined to that point because I hadn't been given appropriate care. It didn't need to get to that point. And so I think there's so many nuances of this where a wheelchair can open the world up to me again, but I didn't need to get to the point where I needed one. And I think there is just so much of that information that is just not available to people. And I want to play a role in helping them be able to get that.
0: It's interesting to reflect on what you said about EDS, because my own research and listeners will will be aware that I produce an audio drama that's all about women who don't have children. One of the actors that I'm working with has EDS. And in order to research the script that I would be writing with her for her character, I was staggered to learn that there are so many different variations of EDS. And that reinforces what I think is a particular problem, which is we we lump everything into this disability box without really taking the time to understand it because it's a very personal syndrome, isn't it? What is affecting you might not be affecting the actor that I'm working with. There are, there's a huge range of, of, of things that can impact you. You're obviously only coming this from your own personal perspective. You can only talk from a position of authority about yourself, but it's not just you, is it? This is such a wide topic do you think we tend to shy away from it because it is so, so wide?
1: I think just generally scope has done research about how uncomfortable the general population is talking about disability generally. I think it is even hard within communities for people to appreciate the fact that manifestations can be so different within the same condition. My best friend has EDS, and his legs are completely fine. And my legs were always my worst issue. So he can walk for miles and I'm like, ow, my knees, it's a completely different manifestation of the same condition. And I think It's interesting to talk about disability versus chronic illness, not that I want to turn it into a competition, but for a very long time, a lot of people might not use the word disabled for themselves and they might say chronic illness and they have different connotations. So you can talk about the more invisible conditions, the ones that aren't the more traditionally understood disabilities. But actually, and a lot of people have been talking about this on social media recently, a lot of the times, if if you're looking, they're not actually that invisible. My fiance said that on our first date, he was like, you move in a very specific way. Like I can tell that, you know, it's not something that you can easily hide, maybe in a picture where you're not moving, but there's, there's signs if you know how to look for them and you can, I I can kind of spot it on, on TV before you find out someone has a condition. I can kind of spot it sometimes. And there's just there's so much nuance. And I think with everything that's been happening with COVID and long COVID, the conversation around disability, especially these kind of less understood chronic conditions are being talked about more than they were. But I think because it's still a type of disability that is very misunderstood and there's a lot of stigma about them, it's a challenge.
0: Chapter two. Is it okay to ask? We can often be uncomfortable talking about disability. We may not know what questions we can ask, or even if we should ask at all. But ignorance is not bliss. Curiosity is an essential part of breaking down stigmas and barriers. As disabled podcaster Andrew Gerza told us in series one, sex education teachers had no idea how to discuss sex with him because of his disability. It created a massive gap in his knowledge. He was left out of learning information, which is critical for young people as they go into adulthood. And it's stories like these that showcase why it's so important that we get comfortable. That's why The Restroom isn't just for disabled or chronically ill people. It's a resource that can help anyone understand a variety of conditions better. It helps us as writers to understand multiple viewpoints in order to write a compelling, diverse and real cast of characters. And it's important for personal growth and acceptance too. Plus, Natasha says that disability can become a part of anybody's life.
1: One thing I don't think a lot of people realise is that anyone can become disabled at any time. It's the largest minority group that anyone can join. And this is the case for anyone to do with everything, right? You don't know, as you, you said this earlier, you don't know what you don't know. You don't understand things until you have personal experience of it. It's it's a very normal and human thing. For example, I had used crutches a lot. And then when I used a wheelchair, it was the first time I really thought about drop curbs when I got a power chair, because when I used a manual chair and I was being pushed, I could kind of be tipped a bit over the drop curbs. And I think when it comes to disability I think a lot of people are very scared of it and I think a lot of people think that your life is going to be over and this is something I wrote about on Instagram a few years ago quite often because when my health got really really bad in my 20s I thought my life was over I couldn't work I could barely go out everything just kind of stopped and my life kind of became my room and when you're in your early mid-20s you don't imagine that's what your life will be like and that's a really really scary thing and when I first started kind of taking the writing seriously the thing that I said is I want to be the person my 20 something year old self needed to be because having a chronic illness does not mean your life is over. Having a disability does not mean your life. It's it's ridiculous that I even have to say that, right? You can live a happy, fulfilled life. There will be challenges. Like everyone has challenges in life and there are things in society that we absolutely still need to change. But I think the first thing people think about when they hear disability is something negative. And that doesn't have to be the case. We are just people like everybody else. And there can be very high highs and very low lows, just like everybody else has. But if I looked at my life eight years ago, I would not think I was having, I would have the life that I have now, but I've had a lot of support together. And it's great to see the conversations changing in terms of seeing more representation of people just living their lives with a disability. For me, the most groundbreaking thing would not be to have a thing about a disability. It would be about having a disabled person existing as a disabled person and it being incidental to their story.
0: Yes. an able-bodied, we'll come onto that term as to whether that's appropriate versus the term non-disabled in a moment, but you don't see an able-bodied character walk on stage and, and people comment on the fact that they're able-bodied. So wh- why would we comment on the fact that somebody is potentially in a wheelchair or has a prosthetic or whatever it, whatever it might be? Why is that the default, do you think?
1: It's interesting because when people say, I don't see your wheelchair, that's kind of nonsense, because of course you do. And there's you. nothing wrong with the wheelchair in the first place. It's there, it's part of me. It's part of my life. It's It plays a major role in how I live my life. It kind of informs most decisions I have to make. But yeah, it's I think it's just anything that isn't quote unquote the norm, anything that you don't see. But I, I went to see a show, for example, at, at the Globe where they had a deaf character signing and we just had to watch the signing there were no subtitles there no anything but we could understand what was going on on stage and we were watching a deaf actor and I did not know that there would be a deaf actor in that production and it was of Hamlet and it was just part of the show And of course, there will be shows about disability, that's fine, where those things will come up and disability comes up in life, that again, is part of it. But I think it's just the same with anything that isn't very well understood. You see this across all different types of diversity. It's the same thing you see adverts on TV, even the ones about like women empowerment, and it's like a body lotion commercial or something. Um, It's still like we are empowered, body positive. It's just, you know, it's just have somebody that doesn't look the same be in the thing <laughs> puzzle. You don't need to make a statement about it. I think it's starting to happen more because there are so many amazing people doing amazing things, but it's it's slow going.
0: Could I ask you about portrayals of characters that suffer or live with chronic pain or have disabilities on screen or, you know, in the theater or or whatever. Do you, have you seen things that you think are very, very helpful in terms of our understanding of, of living this way?
1: When it comes to TV, I don't think I personally have seen, or film, I don't think I've personally seen anything really that I feel is like, this is a chronic illness. It must exist. I just haven't seen those things. I actually um we were watching the latest episode of the morning show on Apple TV, and the main character played by Jennifer Aniston gets COVID. And there were elements of her being ill with COVID that I was like, I can't talk about what it's like having COVID because I haven't had COVID. But there was a point where she was on the phone to Reese Witherspoon and she yelled at her. And then she said, I just used up all my energy yelling at you, and now I need to go and rest. And I was like, that is literally me. And I texted my friend, and she was like, "You literally say this to me," and I was like, "I do." And so it was that when when um when people get tired on TV, I tend to yell me at it. But I can't think of anything TV wise very much. When it comes to books, there's a a romance by Talia Hibbert whose protagonist is uh, chronically ill. And I think that was the first time that I'd read that in a book. It's very interesting because I, I don't, outside of kind of doing it for work purposes, I don't seek that type of content out necessarily because I don't necessarily feel like I need to watch myself. The representation is important, but I know what my experience is like. I don't need to necessarily watch it on screen. I'm much more interested in seeing representations of other things. So I'm Jewish, for example, and I read a lot about, Jewish stuff but I don't read about Jewish things that mirror my experiences I want to learn about Jewish experiences that I haven't had and I want to kind of see it from that perspective so yeah I, I haven't really seen too much but I know there are people working on things which is exciting
0: I know you've had some exciting um, backing in terms of um, sponsorship of the, of the restroom by the old Vic. And I, I I raised this because um, this episode will air in 2022. We're recording this just before Christmas and on Friday, I'm going to the old Vic to see their uh, it's now, you know, they bring it back every year now, their latest incarnation of a Christmas carol, this time starring Stephen Mangan as Scrooge. And I I wanted just to touch on the character of tiny Tim um, in, in that, because that, if I, I I racked my brains long and hard about the first time I can recall seeing or realizing what I was reading or watching was a character that was suffering was Tiny Tim. Because it's one of the first stories that you either get read or you read um, as a kid. You certainly read it at school. And, you know, God knows Christmas Carol is on often enough for you to, to, to watch it. There's even a Muppets movie version of it. It's on all of the time. Now, for a long time, I thought that that was actually quite helpful that children were being exposed to this particular character but then i wondered whether actually god forbid i would ever suggest that dickens had lapsed into stereotype but there is a sense for me that the character of tiny tim and and dickens has fallen into the trap that we try and educate people not to in this regard which is you could argue that tiny tim's illness and therefore later redemption only serves scrooge's narrative arc which is when scrooge does meet the christmas of yet to come and realizes what happens if he doesn't redeem himself then he changes his ways and there's a there's a nice i don't know whether you've watched it or seen it recently but there's that lovely beat of tiny tim's you know god blesses everyone and the second time he says it that kind of completes scrooge's arc it, I, in a way i find tiny tim both helpful and unhelpful at the same time but it's a you know, it's fiction and it's, it's, it's made up, but there's something about the Muppets movie version of it which I find deeply distressing because he's just a, he's just a really sickly shade of green and I find that really heartbreaking. Have you, have you thought about Tiny Tim?
1: The, the thing is, though, first of all, it's a Victorian novel, right? So we can't really expect you know the way we would try and present things now and we can't even Absolutely. get these things right now no, <laughs> a lot of the time so, <laughs> um there are inter- interesting questions to be had about the value of representation in and of itself because if the representation is perpetuating stereotypes or perpetuating things that could be harmful to a community how helpful is that representation so it's an interesting question so um there was a film that came out I think it was time has lost all meaning, but I think it came out earlier this year. It was Sear's film Music and there was an autistic character played by a non-autistic actress. And there were a lot of things in that film that showed kind of restraint, for example, of the character music and a lot of things that people in the community were saying were very dangerous. And so that was a kind of case of representation for the sake of representation, good or bad. And... It's very difficult with older stories. Like I read a lot of older books and then suddenly they've got like these random throwaway lines in there. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, of course they do. Yeah. Um, and you kind of, it's the legacy of how these things have been viewed over time. And hopefully those stereotypes and those prejudices are changing and we're gaining more understanding and giving people more um, more agency to tell their own stories from perspectives that we haven't seen before.
0: Chapter three, The Runner. I'm currently working with an actor on a project who has a similar condition to Natasha, a form of Ella's danlos Syndrome. As a result, this episode has been resonating with me in a way that maybe it wouldn't have done before. And I guess that's the point. You don't need to know of every issue that exists in the world, but if you encounter something new... Why not find out what you can to make things better? In a recent episode of The Restroom, Natasha speaks to screenwriter Charlotte Paradise, who's behind the short film Chronic. Not only is it about chronic illness, but Charlotte also set out to make the on-set experience as inclusive as possible. For someone who's not disabled, the issues on set might not be immediately apparent, but in the episode, they highlight the word runner the term used for a production assistant, a simple word that manages to alienate and exclude many disabled people. And as writers, we should know that words matter. And something else I took away from that episode is just how much filmmakers can do to help and how little effort it would take for them to do so. Perhaps it's something for you to consider. It's certainly given me pause for thought.
1: Having been a runner... (laughs) (laughs) It's one of the worst experiences experiences of my life. And I ended up becoming a production manager and it was a nightmare. I got so ill. I got so, so ill. And the expectations and the pressure and the, it is very challenging. And it's not just within kind of film production environments. It's within work in so many ways in general I often say like beyond the fact that it's a global pandemic the pandemic was one of the best things that happened to me because even though I was working remotely before it was the first time everyone started using video conferencing I wasn't on loudspeaker in a conference room where I couldn't really hear what was going on in a meeting it was the first time I was seeing everyone face to face every day I was not disconnected from the outside world I got the opportunity to start learning a language where it was very hard to get resources for that specific language in London anyway, but I wouldn't have been able to commute into town in the first place. The world became a lot more accessible to me. And I think for a lot of people, it has done the same. But I think beyond just talking about anything remotely, there are so many things that can be done to make life easier for people with different disabilities, or even just different life situations people who have kids people who have elderly parents to look after people who you know life right like a lot of the things that we talk about when it comes to access they're things that don't just benefit disabled people something disabled activists say a lot is accessibility we might start talking about this for disabled people but then you'll see A lot of people for example will watch captions on videos and they'll just have the sound off and even they they're not deaf they don't need the captions or hard of hearing they don't need the captions but they they still use them and so it's as Charlotte says in the episode it's something that does need to come from the top as well as as um, everyday people because if these big companies say we're going to implement these things or we're going to make these changes that will trickle down and the impact that if we're talking about studios, the impact that the big studios can have is really substantial. But even just you listening to that and being able to think about how you could perhaps offer opportunities in a different way is a really big deal. And something that I think about a lot is I was at a meeting a very, very long time ago talking about accessibility in the workplace. And somebody said, we need to empower disabled people to be able to talk about their access needs. And I said, yes, but... I have a big mouth and I have learned that it's much easier if I'm just like, this is, I literally will will walk in somewhere at this point and be like, this is my deal. (laughs) This is how I have to work because I know this is how I work. A lot of people do not feel confident enough to do that or it's not something that they're able to do. And we can absolutely make the environment better so people feel comfortable to do it in the first place. For example, having on job ads that these are things that can be discussed and flexibility and different ways of working are possible I think even just saying that is a really really big thing but also a lot of people just do not feel like they can disclose the information that they need to about their disability because they've been penalized for it in the past they need a job and especially if you're talking about careers in the arts it's it's competitive <laughs> you have to work really really hard and fast a we're all replaceable. You can be replaced at, you know, the push of a button in these industries. And I think until people start modelling different ways of doing it and proving that it can be done, which is one of the reasons I wanted to do that podcast with Charlotte was because I think if you can kind of highlight ways in which these have worked before, it can make other people think about, oh, maybe these are things that I can implement in my own production, in my own workplace. And I think the other thing is, just from the perspective of an employee, I didn't know what kind of support I needed, or because I didn't know what type of support would be available. There are so many things that you just don't know could be put into place because no one tells you. so so often we're kind of left thinking about like, okay, maybe if I do this, I can work more or you know, and then the other question is this this pressure to work.
0: <laughs> I know people who refer to you mentioned autism, and I know people who refer to their autism or their ADHD as their superpower. I met a friend recently, and she told me that she had had her ADHD diagnosis come through. And it was a deeply uplifting and joyous celebration because for her, it explained so much and it made her realize why she was who she was and why she um, acted in a particular way. And I, I thought it was really interesting, but you know how hard it is to find a congratulations on your ADHD diagnosis card? <laughs> like th- those sorts of things should be should be really, really normal because that has been a life-changing thing for her to finally understand, to finally realize uh, that she can talk about things like triggers and that she understands what a particular environment will will how, how that will make her feel whether she's comfortable uncomfortable what she can do about that uh, and those are the those are the sorts of things that we might try and hide aren't they they're le- they're much less obvious than than physical manifestations of a, of a problem where you can see something but things like that it's very very difficult for employers to know, but that doesn't mean they can't ask, but they need to ask in a very sensitive way because sometimes people are uncomfortable because you take any industry, not just the arts, ev- every industry has got problems in, in this regard. But you look at the arts because that's the industry I work in and you think, well, they might not give me the job because there's somebody much better place to be a runner or to be a production manager or whatever it might be. Unless we address those systemically, as you said, from the top down, it will be a closed shop. And as much as the arts like to say it's an open shop, it isn't doing enough to prove that. And, and that's why I found your, your episode so interesting, that just the simple use of the word runner made me go, oh, yeah, why, why do we call it that? That's not very inclusive, is it?
1: I think you'll like our upcoming episode, which is also sponsored by The Old Vic. I'm really delighted. And it's specifically about accessible Mm theatre. And it's really going into depth from the audience perspective as well as the performer perspective. And just how so often it's just being a bit thoughtful. (laughs) It really is just taking time to think about do we need to ask people how we can best support them. Like even the fact that before we had this call, you emailed me to ask if I was still okay to do it. I was like, that was nice. Um, and it's it's those small things that I think once you've become aware of them, it, it changes how you work. It changes how you think about working. And it's very interesting seeing, just even from a non-work perspective, seeing the people in my life and how they completely how it's normal for them, and how friends of ours will be out, and I'm not even there, and they'll be talking about like, oh, this isn't accessible, and someone's like, well, why would you even think about that? It's like, well, we know now. For example, we just moved. I I live next door to my uncle, so um, everyone in the building knows who I am before I even moved in, and the handyman in the in the building said, oh, we've got a I think like 90% of of people in the building are are older people. Um, So actually, it's a a very accessible building um, because it's catered for older people, which is another thing in and of itself that why is most, uh, you get a brochure through the post of accessibility and mobility or anything full of old people and grey things. Old people also deserve lovely looking things, but also there are young disabled people. It's It's not like it's just old people. I think that is one of the things that is challenging as well is the younger you are, especially if you have a condition that isn't obviously visible, people get very confused. Oh, you're too young for that. What is going on? But the, the handyman ran into my fiance and said, oh, um, does Natasha want a Zimmer frame? We have a spare one. <laughs> that happened this morning. Um, it was like, no, thank you. <laughs> um, but you know, the fact that I am kind of rocking up and no one has said any, it with different mobility aids and no one said anything to me and that's really really rare in my where I lived before sometimes I would have mobility aids sometimes not and people would be like oh so you're better now it's like no <laughs> and it gets a bit tiring after a while but again people don't understand and you're not going to kind of disclose your medical history to a stranger like for me from a work perspective just se- seeing you know, we can discuss flexible working, we can discuss these things. It's such a huge deal. I got a job at the BBC through the Extended News Scheme and I wasn't going to apply because I couldn't see any information there about adjustments that would work for me. And in the past, I'd been offered a thing through a disability scheme, but they still wanted me in the office five days a week. This wasn't at the BBC, which was not going to happen. (laughs) And I literally was like I'm not going to apply and they're like come in and talk to us and they said if you get it we will make it work for you and we will talk about it and just having somebody who has your back who cares and who is fighting for you and your access needs and there are things in place to help support you is such a big deal for people that when it comes to a work environment it it has to come, as we were talking about, it has to come from the top because if you're working on a small production where you're in control of something, that's fine. But for things to change systemically, we need to show that it can work and there are different ways of working that do not involve running yourself ragged as a runner. And eventually something has to give, right? And at some point, it's they have to say, we have to spend a bit more money to make this something that more people can have access to. And so if you're talking a big game about diversifying the industry and wanting to represent these voices, you kind of have to put your money where your mouth is.
0: Absolutely. One final question, if I may, Natasha, you through the restroom podcast clearly have the backs of people who want to um, learn more about the amazing things that they could have at their disposal if only they knew about them. You mentioned, I'm really interested to listen to the episode on accessible theatre because you know we do tend to default to it being all about ramps but it, it's it's much much more than that as i understand what else what other plans have you got for the podcast coming up next year
1: so one of the things that i'm currently researching and trying to find funding for is i want to do um specific limited in-depth series so some of them more investigative um and some of them doing deep dives into issues around health and pain and disability that are quite broad and deserve deep dive. So that's something that I really want to do for an audience of people with pain. We're doing um, how to manage flare ups. Um, We're looking at abuse and disability, because disabled people are very often victims of domestic abuse. And there's often very interesting disability angles to that. So yeah, we're trying to kind of find a balance between those more practical episodes that are advice-led for managing a condition and then talking about disability and chronic illness in the wider society.
0: Well, we wish you all the best for 2022 and beyond. Natasha Lippmann it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Conclusion, a massive thank you then to Natasha Lipman for today's episode. And to recap, what have we learnt? No two people experience illness or disability in the same way. It's impossible to generalise or judge. The best way to accurately represent disability in your writing is to speak to a lot of disabled people. As we've said many times, become an expert. If we're uncomfortable talking about a subject, then we as writers need to tell more stories about it. The more we write, the easier it is for people to have conversations, which lead to understanding and growth. It is always okay to ask. Don't jump to a negative narrative when discussing disability. Negativity doesn't govern the lives of disabled people, and nor should it in your stories. Similar to what we discussed in our episode with Nikki May... Sometimes you can let disability serve as texture rather than foreground. And finally, if you find yourself in a position to model inclusivity in filmmaking or writing or whatever it may be, then seize that opportunity and do whatever you can to make everyone's experience that little bit better. Thanks for listening. I'm Mark Haywood. Let me know what lesson you've taken away from this week's episode by sending an email to info at behindthespine.co.uk. We're also on Twitter and Facebook as at Behind the Spine, and Instagram as at Behind the Spine Podcast. Goodbye for now. Stay safe, and keep writing.
1: This podcast is produced by OG Podcasts. Find out more at
0: ogpodcasts.co.uk.